0: Running down dogma with his karma.
1: This is the Drew Marshall Show.
0: You hear the sticks? Yep. That was my instrument in school. We could do... You and I could start a band. You could be the the stick guy and I'll be the triangle Nice. We could call ourselves... Sticks and Bones. Sticks Angles? Sticks Angles? (laughs) Or (laughs) Tri-Sticks? Tri-Sticks. You are listening to The Drew Marshall Show. That's Tim The Tool. My name is Drew Marshall, and we are moving on to our next guest. A nice surprise phone call from the gentleman who is placing the crosses at the uh, location of all these horrendous shootings he's done the Columbine thing he's done Sandy Hook and of course he's just done the Las Vegas thing 58 crosses he just dropped off just so you know I purposely asked you I, purposely I got the wrong... stepped on that conversation no. because you wanted to know if he put crosses at the gay nightclub yes, because you wanted to did. challenge him no I wasn't
1: challenging I just <laughs> wanted to know and what was awesome is he came back to it later and he like he didn't have
0: a problem with it I love that <laughs> I love that he had, didn't have a problem with it he was open to talking to people and this is Chicago thanks tips No problem. Well, there's a gentleman named William P. Young. William. But (laughs) ten years ago, The Shack was a self-published novel originally written as a Christmas gift for Paul Young's kids. Then, with a marketing budget of a few hundred dollars, eventually the book sold over a million copies within a year and just did it out of his garage. And today, The Shack sold over... 40 billion copies. William P. Young's latest book, though, Lies We Believe About God, is a compelling conversational exploration of the wrong-headed ideas we sometimes have and then share about God. Paul has been called a heretic for the ways he vividly portrays God's love through his novel. And uh, he shares 28 commonly uttered and sometimes seemingly innocuous things we say about God. Paul exposes these lies that keep us from having a full, loving relationship with our creator, and with personal anecdotes and sharing the compassion readers felt from the pop-up portrayed in The Shack, now a major film starring Sam Worthington and Octavia Poopy-Pie Spencer. <laughs> Paul Paul encourages readers to think anew about important issues including sin, religion, hell, politics, identity, creation, human rights, and helping us discover God's deep and abiding love. The website is WMPaulYoung.com. WMPaulYoung.com. The book is called Lies We Believe About God. Or, as Tim Challies likes to call it, what does the shack really teach? Lies we believe about God.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) that is so great
0: yeah me and tim buds (laughs) have you ever actually talked with tim verbally nope um but the the best response was
1: done by john mcmurray you can find it out there It's just a direct response to tim's stuff he's a blogger you know so you know
0: yeah but he's don't
1: read that kind of a lot of that stuff just doesn't occupy my time, the good or the bad. No, 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 just, no. I have better things to do.
0: I've got ten grandbabies and twins on the way. Nice. Like, Tim Challies lives just around the corner from the studio. Did you know that? I did not know that. Do you take him donuts? Uh, do I take <laughs> him donuts? How do you do that? For this, is our thanks- this is our Thanksgiving, right? It is. Happy Thanksgiving, Paul. Thank you.
1: I'm I'm very thankful. Very thankful. Even even though you know, life is full of loss, like we know, and um, just had uh, our son, Andrew, in fact, it's been quite a week. Andrew, who's married to Courtney, Courtney had her birthday, but on the same day, her mom just passed away from um, really aggressive lymphoma, and that was on Tuesday. And then, uh, yeah, and then Andrew yesterday, who he's a mechanical engineer with an MBA who's just finished his Portland Police Academy, so he is a portland police officer so you know life is just full of surprises and losses and joys three weeks ago had a youngest of the babies grandbabies and just like so much to be thankful for and so much to grieve all at the same time
0: yeah but as you say in chapter three god is in control Oh, yeah, it's one of the lies, yeah. I mean, we love to think that
1: somehow we can blame God for all the darkness that we as human beings have brought to the table. You know, when in doubt, blame God, right? And so, then put it but hold on, hold on, Paul, you're so.
0: freaking me out, man. God is in control. Dude, if God is not in control, then nothing is in control, then we have this chaotic reality before us. God's got to be yeah. in control, man. Well, uh, how uh, you're married, right? Yeah. <sighs> How's
1: control how's control, working for you, exactly? Yeah. Yeah, relationship. As soon as you have someone whose no matters, then you've lost that sense of, you know, the sense that a lot of us evangelicals bring to the table when we talk about control. And uh, uh, rather than, look, let's look at the character and the nature of a God who is love, and at, at the core of this God is this centrality of relationship. And as soon as you do that... You're in a mystery. We do it with our children, we do it with our spouses, and we do it with our friends. When another human being matters, when another person matters, control is, is not the place where you go, or else you're going to end up making God the author of all this evil and darkness. And, uh, and if that's the truth, then we've got nowhere to run. i have got no place to go that's safe.
0: But God is good, and I am not. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, but. but yeah, By the but way, that's somehow, chapter two.
1: Just those two words, yeah, yeah. I know. But, and somehow, you're made in the image of God. So, like, in the image and likeness of God. So, explain to me how the truth of your being is that you are not good. And, uh, and yet, you're made in the image and likeness of God. Like, it doesn't compute. And here, here I think is really one of the most fundamental losses in our conversation about what it means to be human. We start with a very low view of humanity. And uh, within my tradition, modern evangelical fundamentalist, if what's the incarnation? This is God becoming fully human. Well, God doesn't become something that is not very good. And so the whole point is, we're a very good creation at the core. We just don't believe it. And and therefore, we act according to what we do believe. If you believe like, that you're a piece of crap, don't be surprised that you end up acting like one. Huh. And, um, that's you know, so where are we going to build from? If you build from that kind of sense of total depravity and that I'm a worthless piece of whatever, and uh, if, you, if you try to build on that, good luck. I mean all you'll do is cover up and hide the fact that you're not very good at this religious stuff. And um and yeah I mean I mean look at you Drew you're an expert in this stuff. Uh,
0: yes. Yes I am. <laughs> yes I am. Um You're just not very good at the religious stuff, you know? No. no. Uh chapter 5 God is a Christian. Don't even want to talk about that cuz that's just ridiculous. Chapter Let's see chapter 12 is another one God created my religion. Uh yeah I don't even I don't even get those. Um, let's well, go to, let's go
1: to the... That's a simple one. That's a simple one.
0: Okay, go. God has, God has never been a
1: religious being. Thank you. Yeah, the never, you know, there's never been a time where God's like, so who's in charge of worship services? This weekend, you know, and where are we doing it? Yeah. And um, there is no ritual or religion to the relationship within the very being of God. Therefore, we brought that to the table, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. And it's not that there aren't beautiful spaces and art and things that religion has done that is very... Beneficial and kind, but there is this devastation that it's brought. The sense of separation, all of these things that have been so destructive at the same time, mm-hmm. and um, and I think if you can look at history in such a way, whether it's biblical history or geologic history or whatever, and you'll find God climbing into our constructs, our religious constructs, and submitting to them in order to destroy all the things that are false about Him from the inside. And does it through love and through kindness and goodness and all the things that are actually true about us that we don't know.
0: Where did the phrase "saved" come from? As though, like, yeah. I was walking down Toronto the other day, and the street preacher was. I'm not normally a violent person, but I get enraged when I come <laughs> across street preachers. Street preachers. And I, I wanted to pound this guy, and uh, yeah, I, I just, I didn't. But you know, him screaming out that you need to get saved made me. I felt like Dr. David Bruce Banner. Do you know who that is? Oh, yes, the Hulk. The Hulk. The Hulk. I felt, I yes. felt a green rage rise up from within me. So where does that you-need-to-get-saved phrase come from?
1: Okay, so part of your green rage is totally legitimate, and that's that's because religion always starts with separation, and it gives you whatever that particular religion's, you know, neat magic tricks and how to get past, you know, across the, the big divide. And so religion requires separation in order to, to begin with. The, uh, but, you know, the street preacher, he's a story. Somewhere inside of all that anger on his part and everything else, there's a human being who has a story that's either gotten hurt or he's desperate to hold on to his religion because it changed him. And uh, so he's not there to tell you about you unless you think he is. And he's there to try to express in the only way he knows how what matters to him. So that—that's the response of the green rage thing. The save thing. There's lots of different um, ways that it's used. Even when Jesus healed and and, and the healing and physically uh, saved them, but generally speaking, it's used in three tenses. One is referring to what has been accomplished in the incarnation. That is that that Jesus, in whom the entire creation is created. That's, and I'm talking from the evangelical, uh, not just modern evangelical, but from the whole tradition, is that, that creation is created in Jesus. And so we're inside that circle of relationship. And so when Jesus submits to our killing him, he's able to go down into the depths of, of what we have created, that is, darkness and death, and find us there. So when he dies, we all die. When he rises, we all rise. This is why I'm called a universalist. But um, but it's uh, basically saying that that's salvation. That has been accomplished. It's a done deal, whether you know it or not or like it or not. And uh, now it's about relationship, which is a whole uh, back to mystery. But then it's also used as... Part of it is our our participation in how to work this out, because just because it's accomplished in Jesus doesn't mean that it just fixes us in all of our relationships. We have got to participate in how this works itself out, which means we have to own our own crap, we have to deal with it, we have to come out of hiding, we have to face the darkness, you know, all this stuff that we hate to do. We'd rather perform or be mad about it than actually participate in a process that changes us. And, um, and then it looks forward to eventually um, salvation, including the, the reconstruction and rehabilitation of not only our own hearts, but, but creation, physical creation. So the word comes from those three tenses. It just means to become whole, you know, wholeness. Wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being. You're a good creation before anything got screwed
0: up. What if you're wrong? Good. Well, it wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, but Jerry, are you right I mean, you kinda of seem like you're writing from a from a position of certainty. Well, I'm I, I'm at a place in my life where I do
1: have a sense of certainty about the goodness of God. And I do have a sense of certainty about the way that I love my children and my grandchildren and Kim, my wife and and um the friends and so I I know that, and I know the coherence that has happened in my own life, and that has brought a level of certainty to me. So I'm like the man born blind in John. I mean, you can you can throw all the theology you want at me, and I'm still going to say, but look, look at my life, and look at the coherence in my relationship. Look at the integrity that exists between my inside world and my outside world. And if if we don't have a God who is good all the time, we're on our own. I mean... And uh, and everything that I that I can find, not just in my own life experientially, but as I look at the bigger world, I see a God who is good all the time. I may not understand, you know, any but a small piece of all of that. That's true. So I'm I'm not I'm not certain about my own intellectual veracity, but I, let me tell you, I am certain about the character of the goodness of God, and um, <laughs> and about God being love. So, my certainty rests in character, not in intellectual posturing about it.
0: We're on the phone with Paul Young. Uh, Paul and I were chatting recently over text. Because while I was up at the cottage, I went to the library, which is where the internet is, and I saw a poster for a book club.
1: So you, did, you didn't go to the library for a book?
0: No. Okay. I went there for the internet. And uh, and there was a book club. You free videos. <laughs> I do. I, I got the last season of Downton Abbey. It was Oh, awesome. nice. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, what is this saying? Oh, so I saw the poster, and it said there's a book club Post- meeting, and it's, they're going to talk about the shack. And I thought, oh. fantastic, I'm going to go to this. Well, I show up to this little old country church, I mean, mothballs and mold, right? It's just, yep. uh, and I hope that they're not, you know what I mean, I, I'm sure some of them are listening and that they're already offended, but it's, what I'm trying to say is it's not a fancy, new, no, no, no. It's shiny, yeah, and uh, if, I pull up if under the,
1: the kind of people I think they are, they wouldn't be offended.
0: They no, are. exactly, exactly. So I pull in and there's about eight, nine elderly people sitting around the, around the table becomes aware that um, that I have a connection with Paul Young because one of them opens up the inside of the book and sees my, my name, Drew Marshall, as one of one of the endorsers, which is very kind of you to keep my name there. Thank you very much. Uh, well, you know, you need some attention somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's what I need. So we, uh, we start talking, and I said, you know, Paul would love the fact that this group, and I said this to them, this group of nobodies is sitting here in the middle of nowhere, pulling apart this book and so I took a picture of them and they held up a tray of strawberries fresh strawberries that they I'm had you know, lemonade and strawberries yep. and yep. Sent, sent it to Paul and he was just he was loving it it was good Tickled pink. I love
1: that yeah. I am just so thrilled to, to end up in the middle of that kind of conversation <laughs> with precious people it was just like the best
0: well the lady that started the thing is like Methuselah she's like 900 years old now I've just offended her again if she's listening But <laughs> Methuselah's a good <laughs> guy laughs. But she it was so cute. She followed me on Facebook. Really? <laughs> yeah, followed wow. the, sh- the show page uh, on Facebook. Paul, what has been the most recent surprise that this God that you serve has put on your plate in, in the last little while? You know, because you are filled with this kind of stuff. You have crazy stories. What is the Those last right little stories. little cool little thing that that's gone down for you? So, uh, besides the fact that I've got a a tenth grandson. See, he keeps I mean, going that's... on about the grandchildren thing, eh?
1: Well, see, but let me tell you. Uh, Let's go, Grandpa. They're going to outlive every book and and movie and song ever written, and uh, it's like two people have made a choice to create a child that will live forever. Like, how cool is that? Okay, so I'll give you. A, I'll give you a recent story. Did I tell you the one about? Um, Kevlin Jones Kevlin and Joyce Jones
0: yeah we had uh, we had them on the show oh you did you did you did have them on yeah but remind everybody again because then they'll go "Ooh, that's a cool story and we'll go to drewmarshall.ca and throw in their name in the search field and then we'll listen to the interview
1: ready go okay so we did a screening for Kojic and uh, um, and in the middle of this of signing the books for this the largest African American denomination in the world and it was our leadership conference um, through the signing line comes Kevin, and he's a pastor from Flint, Michigan, and he just whispers in my ear and says, you know, um, I can't believe it's taken a movie to free me from the guilt that I've been under for 10 years. And as, as I'm asking him a story, he starts to tell me how they've had two daughters that have passed away in their 20s in the last 10 years. One recently, uh, a couple years ago, and then, uh, what, 10 years ago, they had a daughter who struggled with her faith, was wayward, was rebellious, who would call for help, and they'd help her, and then she'd push them away, and then, you know, that kind of cycle. And one night, she calls for help, and he's just, like, perturbed about it, and and he had church things to do. So he says no, and uh, all she wanted was help moving, and he said no, and that night, um, while she's moving, she was brutally raped and murdered, and, and it just put him into a hole, because how do you not blame yourself? And, and uh, he said, and he's just crying, saying, I can't believe that it take, took a movie to free me from the guilt that I've been under for 10 years. So uh, that was incredible enough, just that. And later, the, the coordinators of the whole event came and said, you know, um, we interviewed, as an exit interview, this couple, Kevin and Joyce Jones. And I hadn't met Joyce. I knew she was there. And said, if this movie was only for them, it's enough because of just the impact that the movies had in their life, and and uh, and it's like oh, amazing. So they took me to the airport, Little Rock, Arkansas, dropped me off, put me on a plane, and it's it's a fairly big plane, but it's crowded. There were like uh, 47 standbys waiting for 16 seats or something, wow. and um, so I knew it was going to be filled. And I'm kind of curious because I'm on a window seat on 11. And uh, I would just like the whole day felt choreographed in a sense of, you know, there's a God involved in the details of our lives who loves surprises. So I'm wondering I wonder who's going to sit here. Well, <clears throat> the last person to get on the flight is um, a woman. She's got three bags, and she comes on, sits down, and she's in the huff. And they lock the door behind her, and uh, she sits down. And the gal in front of us, in the row in front of us, peeks through between the seats and, and points to her and says, you got the best seat of the house. And she goes like, what? And she points over toward me and says, that's, that's Paul Young who wrote The Shack. And this woman turns and she just melts. And it's Joyce Jones. It's Kevlin's wife that I hadn't met. And the last, she, he had insisted that she take the last seat that came available, that he'd catch up to her in Atlanta. And so the last person to get on the flight is, is Kevlin's wife. And Joyce comes, sits with me. And we get to process for about an hour, and she hugs me, and I give her my contact information, and two days later, I get a call from Kevlin, and he says, I want you to know that for the first time in 10 years, my wife has slept for two nights in a row without any nightmares, and I've slept without the guilt.
0: And I'm just like, come on. Yeah. How sweet and cool is that? Yeah. Yeah, I um, mean, look, when it, the pastor invited this guy into the church. He was... A, Derelict outsider, fringy kind of whatever, but did the right thing. Invite the guy into the church. And then they, you know, love on the guy is the phrase that church people use. And they yep. uh, welcome him into the community in their homes and stuff. And then he ends up dating his daughter. The guy ends up dating his daughter. And then this same guy ends up murdering his daughter, hanging yep. her up in the closet yep. with handcuffs over the closet ring. That's and then horrible. soaks her in bleach. Horrible. Just Horrible. And so the issue of forgiveness
1: is such a monumental issue, not just not just for us in a general sense, but specifically for them yeah. in their lives. Yeah. And like Kevlin says, you know, I I know that I haven't been able to really tell anybody about forgiveness because I haven't been able to extend it myself. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, so a huge deal and a huge deal for so many of us. How do how do you deal with the Losses that we experience and the tragedies that, that surround us. How do we begin to understand them?
0: The other tragedies I'll just briefly share these with you and again these first of all we're on the line with Paul Young or William P. Young Who wrote the shack and Eve and in this new book that we're talking about as well lies We believe about God, but I asked Paul a while ago I said give me some of these stories and do you mind if we you know Could you see if they wouldn't mind sharing their stories on the show and being interviewed? So these interviews are on our website We just talked about one the other just the other two real quickly a husband and wife come home, the police are there at the house, they come towards them and they show them a picture of their daughter and say, is this your daughter? And she's she hung herself in a tree behind the house. Yeah, that's, uh, that's
1: a couple from British Columbia. And uh, that, that one, I got to go on the set twice for the shack. And the second time, you know, and, they, and so Lionsgate just calls me up and says, would you come on set? We'd love you to spend another day and now hold on so did octavia cooking. offer you any pie at all <laughs> you know i've said from the beginning like look she's in the kitchen i mean perfect fit yeah and uh for the character yeah yeah and um so she already knows how to cook make pies right <laughs> the uh, but see the beauty of that is that you could make pie out of whatever we bring to the table
0: anyway. <laughs> nice um, okay good good yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so um I'm sitting at my desk after Lionsgate says, would you come up, spend all day Thursday, we'll fly you in Wednesday and put you up in a hotel in Chilliwack. And and I'm thinking like, hey, there's a, there's a guy I've been trying to meet um, named Brad Jerzak, who's written a lot of really great stuff. Yeah, good and guy, I've been on the
0: show a few times, Canadian yeah. guy, eh?
1: Yeah, yeah, Canadian, British Columbia. So he lives in Abbotsford, and so I thought, hey, there's an opportunity for me to meet Brad face-to-face. So I, I uh, call, I email him. And he's walking in the woods with a friend of his named Dwight up near Cultus Lake, which is in uh, central South B.C. And uh, while we're emailing, and I'm saying, I'm coming up Thursday and all this, and he says, can I come pick you up at the airport? Which is kind of a miracle in itself since he spends most of the year or half the year in in England as a theologian, as a professor. And um, so I didn't even know if he was going to be in the continent. But he's walking in the woods with his friend Dwight. And so I check it out. Yeah, he can come pick me up. Well, he immediately emails me again, this time with a picture, and he says, you won't believe this, but Dwight and I are walking two and a half blocks from his cottage up at Cultus Lake, where we're staying, and look, they'd run into a sign that said that one of the shack locations was at Cultus Lake, two and a half blocks from his house, and he didn't even know it. So that was kind of, well, that's interesting. So I'm now going up there. Brad picks me up. We have lunch together, spend the day together. I'll supper with Eden. He drops me off in Chilliwack, and I said, I'll let you know. And he had let me know in an email that Dwight and Lori, this couple, had lost their daughter. And the book had had a huge impact on them, but they were really stuck, you know, because their daughter was dead. And uh, they were mad. Uh, oh, Laurie especially was mad at God. Dwight was just stuck. And and Dwight believed that it, if he could just read the shack again, he could get maybe unstuck, but he couldn't get past chapter one. And um, Lori is just furious, just angry, and at God, and because she, she, her daughter. And so um, I said, "Well, I'll see if there's any way that I can find some time to even ten minutes, uh, fifteen minutes." And that's what Brad had asked me. Um, So I, I go up there and spend the day with Brad that night. I get the call sheet and it says, we're taking you to the site location because there's multiple site locations up at Cultus Lake. And so I'm in the morning, I'm texting Brad. Like I'm like two and a half blocks away from you. He said, well, we've got food here. Take a break, come down. We'll meet you. Even if you can spend, spend 10 or 15 minutes. So I walk over to, to Stuart Hazeldean, the director and to Gil Netter and Lonnie his his, uh, wife, and I, um, I say, you know what, is, is there any possibility that my four friends could come on set for the day? And not only did they say yes, they, they said absolutely. And so 20 minutes later, Dwight, Laurie, Brad, and Eden down the waterfront, and they walk onto the set. And part of the reason they want me there on that day was because they built the whole shack. And so we're going to watch two scenes, one in the morning and one in the afternoon, and they shoot them over and over and over from different angles and stuff. But I don't even know what they're shooting. Octavia's there. Aviv, who plays Jesus, is there. Sumi, who plays the Holy Spirit, is there. And um, so we sit in the video village, which is a, a tent. And you watch the screens, and you can put headphones on, and you can hear uh, everything that's being shot. Because um, it's an outside shoot, and so you can't get close to it. So, but we get to watch right in front of these big screens the actual shoot. So the scene is Mackenzie comes out on the porch in the morning after a night full of nightmares about his, uh, losing his his daughter. And Papa's got it starts with uh it starts with Papa saying, "You like Neil Young?" that scene. And it was supposed to be Bruce Coburn, but uh you know, couldn't get couldn't get the deal fast enough as far as getting the permissions. Yeah, but uh, that's because you didn't go through said, me. You know that, right? I know that. So uh, <laughs> I just tried to go through Finkelstein. You know. Oh <laughs>
0: so, yeah, okay. That's who I was going to go so, to. But anyway, yeah. Uh, there you go.
1: So uh, she says, uh, "How do you sleep?" He says, "Fine." And she says, "Dreams are important." their way of opening up the window, letting the bad air out, which is a Bruce Coburn line from a Bruce Coburn song. So I got, it in, I got him in there anyway, because I love Coburn. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so this, he sits down. He doesn't need anything, and she starts talking to him. At one point, and we're watching this, right? We've got headphones on. We're watching them shoot this. And at one point, uh, she she says, you know, Mackenzie, the, the the flaw in your way of thinking is that you don't believe that I'm good. I am. And I'm in, I am working for good in everything that you consider to be a mess. But until you believe that I'm good, you're never going to be able to trust me. And he says, why would I ever trust you? My daughter is dead. That's the scene. That's the scene you're watching with this couple. That's the scene I'm watching with this couple. And And I had no idea that that's the scene we would be watching and who would be involved or anything. So we're sitting there. Why would I ever trust you? And so then they reset and shoot it again and again. I mean, we saw it like 15, 17 times. And why would I ever trust you? My daughter is dead. And by the third time, we're all bawling. I mean, it is so tender. Well, then the second scene in the afternoon, and this is after lunch and... And Octavia's come over and hugged on him, and so has Aviv and Sumi and they've just been enveloped. And that afternoon, we we set up, and we go back into the video village, and we're watching the second scene being shot. And this time, Papa's sitting, uh, no, Mackenzie's on the porch, and Papa comes over, and, and they're looking at the bird. And they say, she says, see that bird, Mackenzie? That bird was created to fly. You were created to be loved. And pain is a way of clipping our wings so that we forget we were ever created to fly. And you're looking through this little knothole of your pain. I mean, we're watching this as the second, it is the second scene. and I mean we're we're gone. <laughs> uh, it is so tender and yeah. so, and I'm thinking like, look at the timing of all this. Look at, you know, uh, Lionsgate has to decide to invite me to come back for a second time. Out of the blue, unexpected, I get a little nudge to contact Brad Jerzak and he happens to be in the country. Not only that, he's walking in the woods, two and a half blocks away with his <laughs> friend Dwight, and they run into the shack set while they're in the woods. And that happens to be where I'm going the next day. And these are the scenes that are being shot. You, you start looking at this. I have a my son who's a PhD in statistics. I asked him, you know, what are I the said, odds? Dad, what are the chances? of yeah, what are the what are the Odds of this, yeah, that, hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful, and it's so choreographed and crafted, and the timing is is just remarkable. That's the kind of stuff that I think, if if we happen to stay present, we get to watch happen around us. I think most of us are charging forward into. A fear-based future that we don't even stay present long
0: enough to see what's going on around us. Do you hear what he just said there? That last thing you just said was the gold nugget that I've been waiting for. Come on, come on. You know what, Drew? I love you. You know, I just do. Oh, I was waiting. I was now. waiting, I was a waiting for a butt at the end of that. <laughs> no butt. 28 lies we believe about God. I'm going to read them real quick, and then we'll say goodbye to Paul. God loves us, but he doesn't like us. God is good. I am not. God is in control. God does not submit. God is a Christian. God wants to use me. God is more he than she. God wants to be a priority. God is a magician. God is a prude. God blesses my politics. (laughs) God created my religion you need to get saved. God doesn't care about what I'm passionate about. Hell is separation from God. God is not good. Now, some of these things are just blowing your minds right now, but if you hunker down into the chapters, you will be able to pull apart a new love that maybe you always dreamed was there, but you can maybe start to catch glimpses of the reality of this love. The cross was God's idea. That was just a coincidence. God requires a Child sacrifice. God is a divine Santa Claus. Death is more powerful than God. God is not involved in my suffering. You will never find God in a box. Not everyone is a child of God. God is disappointed in me. In the last three, God loves me for my potential. Sin separates us from God, and God is one alone. Mm. That's the book, folks. It's called Lies We Believe About God, and if you go to wmpaulyoung.com, You will find out more about it. Paul? Drew? Tim? Good to be with you. Doctor? 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 It's like a scene Uh, from Fletch. (laughs) Three stooges. (laughs) Exactly. Really appreciate your guts.
1: Really do. Uh, And right back at you.
0: Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Paul Young. Appreciate it, buddy. You bet.